Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Is there scientific proof for paranormal events? What constitutes proof? Are extrasensory perception and prayer different forms of the same thing? Well, hello there, and welcome to the 447th broadcast of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm Ben, and I'm very glad to be back on the show, at least for the next two weeks. (laughs) And uh, when I'm back, we always do our popular paranormal contest. So this week's question is, in what country would you find the Romblon Triangle? All right, so nail that and win a copy of Faces at the Window, my dad's 1998 book, and call us at 401-766-1240 locally. Again, that's 401-766-1240 or 800-449-1240 from anywhere else in the United States or Canada. Or drop an email after the show to paul at behindtheparanormal.com or ben at behindtheparanormal.com. Our subject this evening is a pretty exciting one to me. By the late 1970s, I was finding the classical interpretation, the spiritualist explanation, that is, for paranormal phenomena to be not only adequate, but somewhat silly. Then I discovered quantum physics, which seemed to offer far more plausible and far more exciting explanations for what I was running into day to day. But in all those years, I never found a physicist who was willing to work with me. Mind you, none of them ever disagreed with me in anything but interpretation and details, uh, there were just, um, I don't know, some just didn't want to get involved, probably in the interest of academic survival. That's why uh, I have been looking forward to this evening's guest, who was brought to our attention by three different listeners who are admirers of his. Dr. Claude Swanson studied physics at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, otherwise known as MIT, and Princeton University. Summers, he worked at the MIT Science Teaching Center, Brookhaven National Laboratory, and the Virginia Cyclotron. At Princeton, he received the National Science Foundation Fellowship and a Putnam Fellowship. His doctoral thesis at Princeton focused on experimental cosmology and astronomy. He did postgraduate work at Princeton and Cornell Universities on the design of superconducting plasma containment vessels for fusion energy systems. Piece of cake. He then began work for Aeronautical Research Associates of Princeton, a consulting company, and later formed his own consulting company, which carried out studies in applied physics for commercial and government agencies, including DuPont, United Technologies, the U.S. Army and Navy, DARPA, and the CIA, among many others. For the last 15 years, amidst his conventional career in applied physics, Dr. Swanson has pursued investigations into unconventional physics. His principal interest has been unified field theory, the so-called theory of everything, which could explain the universe at the deepest level. This has led him to investigate many aspects of the paranormal, which appear to be completely real phenomena that violate science as we currently understand it. So, Dr. Claude Swanson, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Thank you. Great to be here. Oh, it's great to have you. All right, so we're going to... We're just going to skip by all the small talk and get straight into the depths of your theories. Uh, but the first question we have to ask, which we touched upon uh, yesterday's show with a uh, medical doctor, uh, how can a materialistic science prove anything in an extra-material realm like the paranormal? Or has quantum mechanics rendered that question irrelevant? Well, it, it all should go back to data. You know, if we have a theory and a the experimental data does not agree with it, then the theory is wrong and needs to be upgraded, updated, and expanded. And um, I'd always had this sense, even in college, that there was 
that there's a connection, that matter, that there's a somehow there's a deep connection between things that are far away and things that are that are nearby. And in college, I learned about something called Mach's principle, which uh, was proposed by Ernst Mach. That and the idea is that we are affected by the distant matter, the distant stars, etc. Um, but I didn't have much, you know, solid support for it. And then in the mid '80s, I began to hearing about something called remote viewing. And in remote viewing, it's a good example of how you do uh, expand the paradigm. When you find that there's a phenomenon that happens, but it can't be explained by current science, it says, you know, we need to add something. Something's missing. And I began hearing about people who were in, in experiments, very controlled conditions in shielded rooms, could go into a trance, a light trance, and could read objects halfway around the world, often in safes or file drawers, things like that. Uh, Hal Putoff wrote a book in 1981 about some preliminary experiments he'd done doing this. And the problem is that from conventional physics, including quantum physics, there's no way you can explain such an ability. Uh, and that got my curiosity up and it said, I better find out all the data I can uh, what's the evidence for phenomena like this? And when you start looking into it, you find out that there are a whole bunch of things that have now been demonstrated in a laboratory, um, and they don't really fit the current paradigm. So it, it's, informa- it's evidence that we have to expand the paradigm. And um, so how do, you, how do you do that and what do you do? And um, I think consciousness is one of the big elements that is not really properly included in present physics and consciousness seems to have this ability to connect with things that are far away and uh, even to go forward and backward in time which is a total challenge to the present scientific paradigm hmm alrighty so was that too much <laughs> no 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 no, 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 no. Uh, what is our appetite indeed yeah. oh don't worry we still have another uh, 50 minutes to go so well, I, you're well, good I I think the amazing thing for me is, although you don't normally hear about things like this, when you start digging into it, you find there's enormous amounts of data. And and there are lots of people who have spent decades doing research on this, and uh, so it's just a matter of looking. One thing you mentioned, and I, I agree 100% with everything you say, uh, Doctor. It's, it's, I remember in, back in the day, I was sort of mentored by um, Dr. Louisa Ryan of Duke University at the time, mm-hmm. and she and her husband, sure. yep. J.B. Ryan, whom I'm, you know, most people are, are very familiar with in this field. Right. Um, constantly, re- They started working in the 1930s on, on the paranormal. They were probably the founders of modern American parapsychology, certainly. Right. One of the problems was that they came up with all sorts of data all sorts of statistical uh, data, and, and the sci- it, it wasn't so much the science that was the problem as the scientists. They wouldn't accept it. Now, of course, psychology faced the same thing when it debuted on the scene to a certain extent, because it's not exact. Um, it, I just wanted to make that observation because I think that that problem still exists to some degree. Because you yep. being a scientist, me being, uh, my degree's in philosophy, so we're, we're mm-hmm. approaching from different ends of the street here, but we're, I think we're probably encountering the same thing. How do you deal, or can you deal, with the scientists just not accepting the evidence, no matter how good it is? 
Or is that the case anymore? You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink, you know. Heard that, Um, yes. I, I think all you can do is keep on collecting data and publishing it, making it available to people. Uh, one reason I, I wrote my books, um, which the, the second one particularly is a big book, Life Forces. Oh, they're both huge. Plus yeah. pages, 1,500 references, 450 graphs. The, the first book goes through different types of paranormal phenomena. Try to pull together the evidence. What's the scientific experimental evidence that supports these things? And if someone will open the book and read it, there's the evidence. And so that gives them a chance to change their mind. Um, and, and so that, that was really the, the purpose of doing the books. Um, but you're right. Uh, if someone does, is not interested, they don't want to know, then they can keep their same belief system forever. Um, so we're, and we're at a funny time right now where probably, you know, in the, in the, at least in the open, in the, the unclassified public academic system where research is done, uh, the government doesn't really do much supporting of this type of thing. You don't well, unless it's in, in the realm of defense. Giving out grants to do this. So if you're an academic and you want to study this stuff, uh, you have to, first of all, deal with the ridicule factor, and secondly, the lack of funding. So, uh, you know, that makes it slow. Well, as, well, again, I mean, I have known people, I can't tell you who they were, of course, but they were involved in the defense uh, you know the, the whole uh, and the several different projects, particularly in the seventies, the uh, responding to Soviet experiments with psychic warfare. If you right, you know that 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 got funding, but but you're right. Yeah, Other and, than and that, that, it just doesn't get much attention, as far as we know, because we don't know all that much. Go yeah. ahead, Ben. I'm sorry, I'm stepping and, on your well, that, yeah, and so and my books pull together all the available evidence, which includes uh, in America uh, organizations like the Princeton Pair Lab which for 30 years uh, was doing uh, experiments with ESP, psychokinesis, which is, you know, affecting objects at a distance, uh, things like that. And uh, with lots of mostly students, uh, not highly talented individuals, but uh, over and over again, so that you, even if it's a weak effect, if you do something 100,000 times, then these small effects start to add up. And at the present time, over 30 years of the Princeton Pair Lab data, what you always get is an effect which you say, well, uh, they could have gotten lucky. You know, they might have just guessed the right answer. So probability, uh, the question is one for statisticians. Uh, How big an effect is it? What are the odds against chance that it might have just appeared randomly? At the present time, the Princeton Pair Lab, uh, which has now ceased operation, uh, produced enough experiments that the odds against chance for ESP, psychokinesis, and remote viewing are in the trillions to one. So the odds against the odds that this could have been uh, that their data could be explained by chance are trillions to one, which means overwhelmingly, it's it's on a stronger experimental basis than most physical laws that were taught in school. <laughs> so I mean, to me, that's the way to change the paradigm if you have enough data to convince the hard scientist that, yes, there's a real effect there. Well, then that sort of leads into our next question, which is, um, you want to talk about the new science of the paranormal? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, the, my first book was it's called The Synchronized Universe, uh, New Science of the Paranormal, and uh, I really wanted to pull together the different types of phenomena that are classed as 
paranormal and look at the best scientific evidence for each one of them. So I have remote viewing, I have ESP, psychokinesis. Those are all on a good, solid experimental basis right now. The odds against chance are, are very, very high. And then I also pull together other phenomena. Uh, one, one other one is, is the, the Baxter effect, which is plant communication. I uh, plead Baxter. Um, yeah, I've been involved in that somewhat. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Well, as you as you know, then I mean, he uh, was an expert uh, polygraph operator, which is a lie detector. That's right. It, yep. it looks for small changes in uh, skin resistance, things like that, to figure out if someone is telling a lie. And one night he was working late, and he, he was pretty quite a top in the field, one of the experts in the country uh, back in the '60s. But when you're working late, your mind starts thinking of strange ideas, and he thought his plant in his office needed some watering, and he was wondering how it would respond if he watered it. He figured, mm-hmm. well, water conducts electricity, so probably you'll just see a gradual redu- reduction in the signal if I give the plant some water. But to his surprise, the plant signal began oscillating in a way that looked like human emotion to mm-hmm. him. He's a trained, trained observer. And so that got his curiosity up. Uh, polygraph operators are trained to put their client under stress. So just automatically, the first thought that occurred to him was, what if I burned my plant's leaf? To his surprise, he hadn't moved, he hadn't said a word, he hadn't moved his hands, nothing. At the moment the thought occurred in his mind, the trace on the polygraph went wild. The plant knew <laughs> that he was planning harm to it, mm-hmm. and it responded accordingly. That's right. And that it's really good, surprised good, yeah. him, and that started about a 20- or 30-year research program uh, that plants pick up our emotions, they pick up our thoughts, they even anticipate uh, danger. So that whole psychic aspect of plants is one more uh, experimentally proven area of this field. And then you have the, ES, you have, um, the near-death experience, the out-of-body experience, where people actually go out of body and in their consciousness can see other places and report back accurate information. Uh, and you have levitation and teleportation, which we have less solid experimental evidence for, but we do have some, and these are other abilities that are reputed to be practiced by uh, certain individuals, such as the adepts, the yogis of India, who practice these types of things all their life and can do some of these miraculous phenomena. So looking at all these different things, and prophecy was one more, and trying to say what's the best data for these things, and then how do we have to change our science to be able to include these effects? And that's really where the synchronized universe word comes from, because what I realized was that if we if what we call reality is really just a, a synchronized set of particles that happen to be synchronized to each other, so they see each other, they interact with each other, but you can have other sets of particles that are synchronized in a different way, and that will lead you to parallel universes in a very natural way. And that would explain all the paranormal phenomena. Precisely. uh, That that was about 15 years ago or so when I first realized that. In recent years, I've been hearing mainstream physicists more and more talk about multiverses and parallel realities. Yeah, we've had a few on the show. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, exactly. Well, I, I just, as I say, I came, sorry, sorry to interrupt you, you're getting me excited here. No. Um, in the late 70s, I had, I had started my research when I was studying for the priesthood, of all things, in the early okay. 70s. That's how I got in touch with some of these, these big names, what few there were at the time. And by the late 70s, I was saying, none of this adds up. There has to not only be a what, there has to be a why. And why? What is the you know? What is the process? You know, for example, I stood in an abandoned village in Connecticut with six other people, including uh, there were five other seminary students and one photo expert from a nearby corporation in Connecticut. And we uh, we and I've told the story often on the air. We heard an ox cart go by. <laughs> we heard we heard the driver yelling "hya," you know, and the, we even heard the heard the whips cracking the the uh, hoofs of the oxen or horses, whatever it was. And we couldn't see it, and it was about twenty or thirty feet away. And we all stared, you know, what on earth was this? What, this didn't, this wasn't dead people. You know, th- this was some sort of parallel reality here. And interestingly enough, I later found out I was relate was related to the people who had lived in this village. So I, it was, it, it was a, really the first day of school as far as I was concerned. And I've been told by mutual acquaintances that you and you and us have come to similar conclusions yep, uh, on this. And I don't see any other explanation. Um, and we, you know, we can't get the right answers if we ask the wrong questions. Exactly. So you go ahead. I, people hear me well, all the time yeah, on the show. This is... One of the things I realized, when I went through my normal schooling system, I had a very strong belief that Western physics is correct, okay? Mm-hmm. Because, after all, you learn the lessons in school, the, you, the classroom lectures, you're told how electromagnetism works, gravity works, then you go into the laboratory, you do some experiments, which, of course, is a pre-planned experiment that is a classic experiment that people have been doing for a couple hundred years, and it gives you the exact result that you expected. Mm-hmm. And so you feel like, ah, I just proved that this theory is correct. And so you, you stop questioning it. But they never had us go to do this experiment in a haunted house, you know, or, yeah. or in some strange area like the one where you were at with the, uh, you know, the, the old village. There are phenomena and there are places in the world that don't behave according to the standard Western model. Mm-hmm. And so if, if those anomalies, and, and there are people you know, who can do things that aren't in the standard Western model, and that's where you want to go if you want to see how to extend science to you know, a, a bigger picture. Um, and one of, the, one of the obstacles is that even if you start looking at that, people say, well, these effects are very weak. They're uncertain. They come and go. You can't depend on them. Um, it could just be luck. And one of the first things I came across after remote viewing was a healer, an energy healer from uh, Poland who was known there and in Russia where he had been invited to come and be studied by their scientific establishment because he could produce these phenomena on a regular basis. And so that, that was my first hope that, we can scientifically look at this stuff, uh, both you know theoretically as well as experimentally. No, absolutely. Uh, ben, are, are you through the? Because I, well, I don't want to step on your lines. I'm getting uh, no. I'm, I'm very enthusiastic, fascinated by by all, all of this. Plus, you already answered the next question anyway. So I did. No, sorry about that. Well, anyway, well, I just uh, well, of course, uh, arriving at the sort of the, the multiverse interpretation can be fraught with peril as well. Uh, there are a number inter- a number of interpretations of the multiple worlds interpretation, uh, which uh, I know that some may say that uh, some of these parallel worlds are not uh, are not 
fulfilled yet that they have not been brought into full reality. Into well, you the can take anything floor. and apply it to anything. Well, you can, you can. The trouble is, has always bothered me, and the motto of our show was everything you know is wrong, because we have a certain point of view that's really very limited. And all of our, all of our physical science is based upon our physical senses, which, which can, are not necessarily epistemologically defensible. You can't always say that you can know things as they really are if there is a state in which things are as they really are uh, with your physical senses. So these were all questions that arose in my work. Um, I'll tell you what I encountered, and you tell me what you think, Doc. Uh, it's starting really in 1979, and there was one particular case where there was a, a young girl who had called me, and uh, I was just out of grad school and kind of almost drifting, when uh, I got this call, and the girl said that she and her sister had been in Maine the previous week, and uh, that there had been an encounter on the doorstep of a house. The girl had been, the young sister had been uh, very much a believer in the occult and all this sort of reincarnation and all this. And she had, they'd come to a house, none of them had ever been there before, it was in the village of York. And the girl suddenly said, stop the car, that's my house. Everybody said, how, what? She jumped out, ran up to the door. The woman who went to the door screamed when she saw the girl. And to make a long story short, the girl had had dreams of of living in this house, uh, mm-hmm. coming down the stairs, looking out the window, doing all this these sorts of things. And the people in the house had seen her. Interesting, yeah. interesting left, not while she was having the dreams, but at different times, doing exactly what she said she was doing in the dreams. Mm-hmm. They, they thought she was a ghost. And and this, uh, they said, as a matter of fact, the, the, the spookiest moment of their lives, they said, was when the guy said, you should know this house, you haunt it. <laughs> and uh, everybody kind of, whoa. So, again, this called everything into question. Interestingly enough, uh, I sent her for the MMPI, the, you know, the pre-psychiatric test uh, in Hartford, and uh, the people themselves I debriefed later on. All phenomena ceased immediately as soon as that encounter on the front porch took place. Interestingly enough, the girl said that in her dream, she was the mother of a family in this house, and she wondered why there weren't toys in the yard when she first encountered the place. Sort of popped into her mind. And I kind of, uh, and this is 1979, I kind of, you know, just didn't pay much attention to that because it didn't fit the paradigm at the time. But now, I'm looking at this multiverse written all over it. Parallel lives, uh, people encountering the same multiple universes overlapping each other, or whatever you want to call it. What say you? Well, Sounds a little, I mean, I agree with that. I mean, it sounds to me the first the first part is um, in the out of body experience, which people often have when they're dreaming, um, or just in altered states. There are plenty of cases where someone will visit another place in their astral body, as they call it. So their physical body will stay where it was, but. Uh, another, the consciousness goes somewhere else, and when it does, uh, some people see them as solid, and they can recognize them later. And there are a number of I have a chapter on out of body experience in the synchronized universe. You do, uh, yes, yeah. And um, there are you know, some dramatic cases. One where uh, a man is at sea in the middle of the Atlantic in a bad storm. His wife is back on shore in their home. And I think maybe she's dreaming at night or something that she goes to visit him. Well, his bunkmate on the ship saw a woman come into his room and kiss him on the forehead that evening. And it was, by later checking, it was his wife. And she's thousands of miles at sea. There are lots of examples like that where people have out-of-body experiences and they are 
observed, you know, as a physical, full physical uh, being when during those. So it's not the only type of OBE that occurs, but it's one form that often happens. That's true. Actually, we're going to take a break right now. I'll be right back with our marvelous guest here. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON, 12:40 a.m. in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. Stay with us. Hi, I'm Greg Bell, the host of Win Radio Was. I'm Mortimer. Bill. Is that you under that blindfold? Bill. With this thing on, I can't see who I am. No, I imagine not. <laughs> can't you see anything at all under that blindfold? On a clear day, I can see the blindfold. You can. Yeah. Win Radio Was. Shows from the past for today's imaginations. Win Radio Was airs Monday through Friday right here on ON 1240 Radio at 11 a.m. and 11 p.m. And welcome back. And I wanted to continue our discussion, of course, with Dr. Claude Swanson, uh, eminent physicist. And I, I'm very familiar with the astral theories, and of course that makes sense to a point, but here's my philosophy background coming through. I'm wondering about the, um, the ontology of such a thing, you know, how, how such a being would exist. And of course, at, at least the way I approach the multiverse, anything that can, can, can be conceived must exist somewhere or some when in some parallel reality, or else you wouldn't be able to conceive it, because I believe, I'm a big believer in non-locality, with something else we can get, I don't mean to throw these terms out, we get a lot of people stuck in traffic, I don't want to get them any more frustrated than they already are, however... Let's talk about Einstein's theory of relativity first, and how that applies well, to well, the well, I want to the, Okay, well go ahead, Ben, you're, you're right, I want to get into the physicality of all this. I was, I, was just make, I was making a joke, because you were... I know. Yeah, yeah. You got it, you, okay. didn't, you didn't get it. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm excited here, I'm, I'm cooking. Uh, yeah. but the, the, the first the, thing, I guess... Um, when I was just in my early work trying to figure out how we could expand physics to include these things, um, I came up with this idea of a, of, a, of a set of parallel realities based on synchronization. The particles in one reality are all synchronized with each other. Uh-huh. And in that picture, it's also the consciousness of the individuals that is synchronized with that particular reality. Uh-huh. So for us, it's everything. It's what we see. We don't see the other possible realities because they're out of phase with the one we're in. So it's a, it's a way to bring consciousness into this model. Um, but there's another. So so there you have a, a set of parallel um, equivalent realities. That's the multiverse. Many different layers. Mm-hmm. Layers of possible reality. They're all synchronized a little bit differently from each other. You only see one. But you have the possibility of shifting to another one. And the, the nice thing about that aspect is there are people, and you know, maybe this sounds strange as off the bat, but there are people who have the ability of moving through walls or moving objects through walls. That's right. And so there's, there's this um, permeability aspect that is actually been observed experimentally. Mm-hmm. So, um, you have to kind of believe something like this to be able to explain those things. Uh, the theory kind of sat there in my mind at the end of the book uh, for two or three years. A friend of mine introduced me to a man named Richard Bartlett, who's a familiar uh, uh, healer who uses this concept to do healing. If you have a problem, a broken bone or something else, uh, you have the possibility of shifting to a parallel reality where the bone is not broken. Precisely, yeah. And it turns out that actually traditional healers around the world, the shamans in, uh, in, in Siberia 
or in Hawaii, the kahunas, this is the type of healing they do. Exactly. Yeah. So when That's I what they've that, told me. It blew my mind, first yeah. of all. And secondly, I thought, well, maybe that idea wasn't so crazy after all. Uh, <laughs> and so that's part of the theory. The other part, though, is so you have these parallel dimensions that are all more or less equivalent to each other. If you shift from one to the other, the differences aren't very noticeable. But you have also higher dimensions. And this is where the astral and some of the higher spiritual levels come in. Uh, the yogis of India know a lot about this. Uh, people who go into special altered states uh, become expert at this uh, hierarchy of higher dimensions, which are different from each other. And uh, so that if you've seen pictures of the aura around the body, these different energy layers around the body, those are actually how our body impinges on those higher dimensions. When someone goes out of body, they actually put their consciousness into the next higher level, which is called the astral plane, and that gives them the freedom to move around uh, rapidly anywhere in the world. Uh, so the yogis and the adepts in various traditions uh, learn how to manipulate and to use these higher dimensions. In the West, of course, uh, we <laughs> it's we're just fumbling and just starting to become aware of some of these things, or be re becoming aware, if you will. Um, yeah. All right. So, quick question about all of that. So you have the different levels and different types of consciousness, all that kind of stuff. Well, different kinds of consciousness, because there's only one kind of consciousness. Um, so how is it all organized? Because it seems like one just sort of jumbled mess, really. Yeah, the the next question is, well, you know, what about the science? What about a theory? How are you going to put that all together in a sensible form? That's a better way of putting my question. <laughs> yeah, and so my second book, which unfortunately is bigger than the first book, <laughs> What I, what I realized is that when people observe strange phenomena, when you have a strange encounter with a ghost in a haunted house, or when you go to a sacred site like uh, uh, Avebury or Stonehenge in England, or some cemeteries, you'll feel strange energies. Uh, there's a there's a, a way in which our physical reality becomes altered, where the normal laws of physics get shifted away from how they normally behave. Mm -hmm. uh, Dr. William Tiller, former Stanford professor, has been doing experiments for 20 years or more uh, in Arizona with rooms in which he will change the conditions in the room to build up energies of this type, and he sees things happen that don't normally happen. So the laws of physics become altered. He calls it raising the gauge. Mm. But the, the physics you learned in school all become subtly altered and this energy is present. So my second book is about this energy and how it changes the laws of physics. This energy is known in China. They call it qi. It's the energy which Chinese healers have used for thousands of years. In India, they know it. It's called prana, the energy of life. It's the same energy. So these old traditions knew a lot about this special energy but it does not fit into Western physics. And when it's present, the laws of Western physics are altered. So that's what my second book is about, trying to make, you know, get closer to a theory to include this stuff. Uh, and then one more, well, in, the, in my book, I go through all the different people who have done research on this special energy. Uh, there's uh, von Reichenbach, a German chemist, 
who worked for 30 or 40 years with experiments on this energy. There's Wilhelm Reich. There are many other people we've heard about through history who have looked at this energy in one form or another. Luckily, we're living in a time now where a bunch of Russian scientists actually devoted hard scientific methods, uh, and uh, they call it torsion. Uh, the man who uh, started this whole field uh, was a well-known and well-respected astronomer in England, in, in Russia called Kozarev. And so we have different pieces of this whole science, and I try to pull those together in the book. Well, before we burn up this hour, which we're doing, I, I, I can't remember a show that's gone this quickly in a long time, Ben. Please, well, you've already told us a kind of about your books. Give us the titles and give everybody the website and uh, where people can get them and uh, Absolutely. just go for it. Well, first of all, if you put my name into Google, you'll come up with either me or a distant relative who was a politician <laughs> <laughs> who's, who's been dead for a while. So put my name, Claude Swanson, S-W-A-N-S-O-N, into Google, and the website is called Synchronized Universe, uh, which is www.synchronized.com. S-Y-N-C-H-R-O-N-I-Z-E-D, synchronizeduniverse.com. And the website will you know, take you where there's uh, about a dozen uh, YouTube lectures and videos on there where I explain some of the stuff. Um, and the books are also available uh, through Amazon or there are links at the website. Excellent. And there is a link to that website on our show site, behindtheparanormal.com, under this show. And we'll, we'll uh, certainly leave it there. Already, um, actually, I did want to get get into because you were talking about um, fitting quantum physics or well the these ideas from the east into the west or or Western science at least mm-hmm. yes. and it, attempting to do that. Well, the problem there, I, at least as I see it, and as, as I've I've studied my my sciences and my basic courses, you have. Western dualism, which comes from a lot of great Western philosophers, most notably, but great, I just say that as uh, a title. They aren't really that great. I, As anyone who's listened to our show before, we do not like Rene Descartes. We do not like Rene Descartes. We do not like Rene Descartes. And his whole idea of <laughs> the um, split between physical and uh, spiritual, and we're all just basically a bunch of machines, blah, 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 which eventually turned to Western dualism. Right. We, and and science becoming this meticulous thing where oh well in order to learn everything we need to take everything apart yeah and, and all of the all of the uh, great uh, Eastern masters the yogis the the Qigong masters the people who can exhibit these phenomena we're talking about these really unusual effects I mean for example in the second book I talk about the Qigong masters ah, yes. who can heal people thousands of miles away they can affect experiments. They can change the rate of radioactive decay. Uh, they can change, affect lasers. They can do things that are measurable. And they enter a non-dual state to do it. They enter a state where they don't separate. Themselves. They put things together uh, rather than take them apart. Yeah, so that, that non-dual state really is important uh, in achieving this ability. Well, yeah. yeah, well, that, then, in effect all of Western science and Western society itself would probably need to change in, a, in order well, to get us into a state like that again. Si- for physicists, for scientists who are taught in the Western model, uh, it's all about our conscious mind, mm. you know, solving problems. It's all analytical, which is dual. And so when you sit down and try to learn how to meditate or remote view 
or do some of these weird things, it's hardest of all for people who had too much education of that type. And I'm speaking as one of them. Uh, I took remote viewing after it became publicly available in the mid-90s. And it's a great procedure because it gives you a whole bunch of steps to keep that analytical left brain busy. And when you do that, then you can start doing some of this stuff. But, um, you know, it's, it's not easy if you're raised as a Westerner. You're right. You know, I, I have an academic background, too, and I can only get so far with this. But but if I might presume to speak for my son, he grew up in our family, which is kind of different. Well, <laughs> we sort of had the yeah. multiverse uh, idea and awareness, and, and uh, you, you, don't, you, didn't, you don't have that intellectual well, no. backstop. That's because we're Eastern Orthodox. <laughs> well, yeah, there's an Eastern that's, mentality. That's, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I never, I don't get, I don't understand. And the West, it doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> well, one of the things, uh, Doctor, that, that I encountered with shamans, and I was dealing, I knew best uh, two. I should, I, if I knew them, I talked with them for seven hours straight in Australia. It was an uh, Aboriginal uh, shaman elder yeah. uh, who was, I remember, he was a cute little guy. He was about four and a half feet high, and we just had the greatest conversation. And I've been told that I was really lucky because they don't usually talk to outsiders, and uh, also a Cree shaman in quebec so two wildly different parts of the world and they all they both told me the same thing and it's exactly as you described it what they do is to, is to find parallel worlds where what where the reality needs to be made real here and that's what they do mm-hmm. and he said it's as really as simple as that the trick is you know to do it right and not not mess it up and create chaos they even told me and, and this is where the, the physicality of some of these phenomena has struck me other people don't seem to see it that way but they both told me about instances where when they were young, there were other shamans who had literally brought people back from the dead, not by resurrection, not by reincarnation, but by literally going into parallel worlds where they had not died and literally taking them by the arm and hauling them back across whatever you want to call the electromagnetic boundary or whatever, of which we believe we have photographs, by the way, mm, and wow. uh, you know, t- taking them back into... Um, the, and they, they both said it was not a good idea. There, things happen for a reason. The multiverse is organized in a very disorganized way. But that. So anyway, I, I found that all very interesting. But the physicality of this has made me question the spiritualist approach to the paranormal in the first place because I've had physical encou- very physical encounters with, say, poltergeists uh-huh. at times and this sort of thing. So it's a deep well. And um, thank heaven there are people like you who are attempting to plumb it, so to speak. Mm. Yeah, well, I'm working on a third book on on the afterlife and the soul and things like that, but it really is sort of built on the other information. I mean, these various dimensions, the higher dimensions, uh, do exist. Um, the, the Theosophists is a you know, as you know, uh, a school of thought called Theosophy in America, which is really based on wisdom from the East, from the yogis of India, and it's a, you know translated into English, but it's by and large, the same knowledge, and they talk about these higher dimensions, the the astral plane, which is a plane of emotions, which is sort of the closest to us. It's where we usually go when we die, and we call it heaven. People who have been there, either in their death experiences or you know, whatever, this is forms the the actual experiences that people. If you, if you go back and look at how religions get created, they're usually based on some extraordinary experience by a by a founder. Exactly. Yeah. Went there and Shaman, came back and he explained what happened, and that's the astral plane. Um, and then there are higher dimensions, the mental and the causal plane, which have their own characteristics. 
Um, and so I think as we start to wake up and pay attention to the existence of these higher planes, I think we'll get a lot more precise understanding about how they work. I see you kind of stick to some of the old terms. Um, language is a problem, at least as we see it, because it's re- especially English. You know, languages are, are the products of their cultures mm-hmm. and the way their people think. And we come, Europe, Europeans come from a shamanic background, but way back. And uh, so I always say our language is really not up to actually talking about a lot of these things. So the terms we use can be real stumbling blocks. Yeah. Well, I, I found that in, in this, the second book, uh, which I call the Life Force, that's the title of the second book. Yeah, life I have Force. that. Yeah. But uh, you know, the Chinese call it chi. The Hindus call it prana. It's been called you know about twenty or thirty different names. Every ancient society has a name for this energy, but it's all different, and it's been rediscovered by at least a half dozen scientists, if not not a dozen, uh, in the last 200 years, and they all give it a different name. So you're right. The, the communication becomes a real issue here. Well, that's true. We also look at flap areas, as, as they're called, you know, things where areas where all sorts of paranormal phenomena seemingly unrelated to each other are occurring. And, of course, we look at multiversal explanations for this, too. I'm thinking of uh, one in Connecticut. We talk about it on the show a lot. We don't get specific because it's, uh, you know, we don't want to incriminate certain people who are helping us out there. Uh Uh, there, It started with a, I should say, a a, a ghost, apparently haunted house kind of situation in 2005, and the person Uh had read my 2002 book, uh, Footsteps in the Attic, which expounds the multiverse idea as an explanation for paranormal phenomena and said this is, gee, the only way they could could explain these wild, goofy things and and strange life forms they were seeing and things that most people would interpret as ghosts and all this. So it started with that and it ended up, and we work on cases for years, and we're still working on it, and it has turned into uh, not only that, but uh, there are UFOs being seen. The whole town is seeing these things. This is the area where, the, where these terrible Newtown shootings occurred, mm. um, and all this all this stuff is going down. And we were out there. Matter of fact, we were making a pilot for a TV show at the time. Uh, later, we were told we, we were not allowed to see the film, and we were told we were too intelligent for, <laughs> for the anyway, in so many words. Anyway, there was apparently there was military activity. Uh, the black helicopter thing apparently was going on. We, we uh, saw this farm where there was had been all this military activity. All of a sudden, nothing, but everything was it, there was everything was weird, strange yeah. kind of sensor things in the trees. And uh, really, really strange. Is it possible in your work or in your work, have you encountered any evidence, and I'm shifting gears here, that somebody, whether the government or somebody else, is on to this and is is seeking ways, our suspicion is that they're they're using areas like this to find out ways to generate, if you, for lack of a better term, multiversal energy sources, things of this kind, a practical use. Have you ever run into any concept of that kind or any evidence? Uh, Yeah, there's... um you, know, you always hear pieces of the story. You, know, you do. You never quite That's right. know what the whole motivation was. But uh, there's an area in Utah, the, um, the Skinwalker Ranch. That's exactly. We call this Connecticut Skinwalker Ranch. Yeah. yeah. And uh, there's places in Arizona like this where, you know, really weird phenomena, including, you know, beings that seem to be able to appear and disappear, uh, anomalous beings like Bigfoot are, are seen or... Uh, in, in Skinwalker Ranch, they talked about some kind of huge wolf that uh, had some very strange qualities to it. Uh, the UFOs are often sighted. 
uh, years ago when I lived in Virginia, a bunch of us and my friends had similar interests to me. They were all interested in the strange, and uh, we were concerned about Y2K in the year 2000. Mm. So we got together and bought a little farm in West Virginia out in the country, except my friends being <laughs> maybe peculiar in terms of what they considered interesting. <laughs> uh, the, ran- the, the farm they chose was one of the most haunted places you've ever seen. It had virtually every known form of paranormal phenomena there, hmm. uh, inc- including Bigfoot. And uh, you could sit out in the backyard at night and hear these strange cries. It was backed up to the National, the George Washington National Forest. You hear these strange cries at night that sounded exactly like the tapes of Bigfoot that we've heard on, on Coast to Coast. Hmm. Um, there's all kinds of weird things happened. Uh, anyway, for me, as a sort of a fledgling paranormal researcher, it was great because you walk outside any time of night, take some flash pictures, you get an orb. <laughs> I mean, an interesting orb a lot of times. Yeah. Um, there were five beings, supposedly, that lived in this place. Uh, I am not very sensitive to, uh, to ghosts, but uh, it, it felt very strange. So um, I, I know what you mean. I think it turned out that the farm was built over a Native American burial ground. How classic. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, this is not near Fairmont by any chance, is it? I'm sorry? If you're comfortable to say it, is, is it near Fairmont by any chance? Because I've heard I of some... I don't know. Okay. I know how, I know how we got there. I don't, there were, it was a pretty rural area. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but if you go to crop circle country in England, uh, the energies there are also unusual. And people who go there have all kinds of, you know, strange, uh, stories, uh, Including teleportation, time shifts, and these ghostly encounters, like the one with the um, in the town that you were in. So, um, yeah, there are special energies. Uh, one of the things that I came concluded there are certain types of minerals that um, will build up more of this type of energy. I was just going to ask. Could that. have concentrations in the ground just because of that that might also cause some of these effects. Oh, yeah, well, the, the geotechnics of an area I've yeah. found were very interesting. I used to bring, um, it was funny, I was kind of an odd sort of investigator. Before Ben joined me when he was not bored or too young, I always had uh, a, a soil engineer come with me. He was a good friend of mine from Rhode Island here, and uh, he would always was always able to, t- and, and the homeowners would always be shocked. How come he didn't bring a psychic or all kinds of crazy gizmos? So, well, you know, this, this, there's nothing that's better than experience. And uh, the fellow would, uh, would always be able to tell if there were clay soils or sandy soils, and uh, the water table, the evidence of that. And we found that when there was a high water table in those kinds of soils, which are very permeable, of course, uh, you'd have, uh, or when it was next to a lake or a river, there seemed to be increased likelihood of paranormal activity. Uh, because uh, We thought because the electromagnetic... Uh, I should say electromagnetic fields were conducted more readily, perhaps, by this. Or that was one explanation. So uh, it was very interesting. You look at these factors that a lot of people don't look at, and we never find it's one house. It's always an entire area is is uh, not necessarily affected, but susceptible. Uh-huh. And if you and if you have the guts to talk to the neighbors, and if they'll talk to you, <laughs> they'll almost always say, "Hey, yeah, we saw a UFO, or this happened to us, or that sort of thing." So it's um, as I say, it's the first day of school. Yeah. Even for me, after forty-two years. <laughs> Right. Well, so, it, yeah, it's amazing that people are, are afraid a lot of times to admit what they see or what they experience, and when they do share, they find out a lot of other people had similar experiences. That's right. So, yeah. 
It is amazing. So, uh, what uh, have you had experience with poltergeists at all? I, I have not, and I've not uh, gone to very many haunted houses. I've been more uh, you know, focusing on the research and, and the, the reading of reports, things like that. I've been to a few um, haunted houses and things like that, but I've never seen anything that I'm really sure. Uh, is a poltergeist, but um, well, I, I'm sure they exist. Oh, yeah, well, I've, I've been quite, injured quite by them. Data yeah. Uh, well, we often, I, I've come to the conclusion, and did some time ago, that the entire planet is haunted, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. as John Keel might have said. But well, the, uh, in older cultures, everyone knew this. This was part exactly. of the accepted belief yep. system. It's only in the modern West that we've convinced ourselves that this is all, you know, hallucination. Well, I've um, often thought that I'm sorry, but I always refer back to Beetlejuice. To be honest, if any if anyone uh, people have definitely seen the movie Beetlejuice when it's like the the living just don't want to see the dead, so therefore they don't exist or whatever. Uh-huh. And we learned yeah. that in the military, the secret of invisibility is simply to be where you're not expected to be. That's not what I was talking about, but okay. Well, yeah. all right. Well, it's a counterpoint. Anyway, uh, it's just um, I don't I don't even know where to go from here because I'm just so so fascinated and uh, I feel like we've discovered a kindred spirit here, Ben. That's great. Well, well, let me just say that I think that I mean, for me, uh, I you know I, I went through a, through a traditional religious education as a young boy, and then. I began learning about science, and it seemed like science had experiments and they had applications, and so that must be the correct way, and so religion must be the wrong way. Um, but as I have gotten older, what I realize is the truth. I think there's a lot of truth from really combining the two views. There's a deeper truth in which religion is reflecting something. It's reflecting spiritual experiences, uh, and of course, by different cultures, uh, it comes out in different descriptions. But there's something underneath it all. I mean, we're finding that the power of consciousness, the power of prayer, the power—you know—the the power of um, of manifesting by by wanting something—those all do affect the physical world. Well put. And, and, yeah. And, and in the same way, I think that our laws of physics are missing something. They're missing the power of consciousness, these energies like chi that ought to be in there. And so I believe that as we learn more and more, we'll see these two different views kind of come together into a new unified view, which is much deeper. And we won't, you know, it'll, I think it'll, it'll be a lot easier to talk about it when we come to that point of view. Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, well, having started out in the seminary, just the opposite of, of yourself, I, I mm-hmm. came to the conclusion that, that really the paranormal is the origin of both science and religion. Had there been no mysteries, had mm-hmm. there been no encounters with the quote-unquote supernatural, there would have been neither. Yeah. So uh, there, there, is, there is a deep background there that certainly is, is reflected. Well, Ben, um, I, well, I think I can see a number of, other shows coming up with Dr. Swanson here. We've only, oh, yeah. I felt like we haven't even scratched the surface. No, not at all. If well, there's we'll, only so much we can do in an hour. Well, we'll be in touch with you off the air, and I'd like to, if, if you're willing, plan some more shows and make them as specific as possible so we can, um, you know, build it up into something here. Absolutely. It'd be my pleasure. It'd be great. Well, thank you so much. Uh, we've got a few minutes left, and uh, we'll, we'll see what the um, multiverse has to do with the uh, Boston Bruins and... Uh, <laughs> Uh, Toronto Maple Leafs hockey game coming up after the show. We'll see what happens yeah. with that. So, well, thank you, Doctor. I'll be in touch off the air, definitely. Okay, thank you. Thank you Bye-bye. so much. Bye-bye. Okay, very good. Okay, let's uh, have a few announcements here. Certainly, 
I wanted to point out certainly the charities we have adopted on the show. Uh, certainly USA Cares. Uh, they provide financial and uh, help and advocacy assistance to post-9-11 active duty U.S. military service personnel. They're, um, I guess, a little more active on the West Coast, but they're, they're moving here to the East Coast, too. And they're a terrific uh, group. And check out usacares.org. Uh, it's good basic help. Also, Builders Helping Heroes, our uh, Rhode Island Builders Association, is working with Homes for Our Troops, headquartered in Taunton, Mass., to build a home right now in Burrowville, Rhode Island, right in our listening area, for uh, the Dubois family. And uh, Corporal Kevin Dubois lost both legs in Afghanistan uh, in the line of duty, and uh, this house is being built uh, for them at no charge to them. It's a tremendous project. Check out buildershelpingheroes.org. And we also, uh, we have a lot of Canadian listeners, and certainly in our, in our local listening area here, there are a lot of people of Canadian descent and connect, connections. Everybody around here has relatives in Canada, so check out Canadians Veteran Ad, Veterans Advocacy. Uh, Canada's fighting along, alongside us in uh, Afghanistan, certainly, and has been uh, with us all the way through, uh, as, as certainly as brethren in, in our, uh, the war on terror here. So check out uh, Canadians Veterans, uh, Canadian Veterans Advocacy. Uh, dot org and uh, it's a wonderful group that we're attempting to uh, to support as well. Okay, so we uh, okay. I wanted to ooh, where's my ending here? Okay, uh, many thanks of course to our producer Ben himself, uh, and we'll see you next week, May thirteenth, when we will welcome back independent researcher Ted Phillips for a look at UFO landings, the most recent evidence. And on our CBS edition, on Sunday, May 12th, we will do a broadcast because it is Mother's Day. Yeah, we, we have plans. But it will be a rebroadcast of the January 20th show, uh, which had to do with Phantom Places, which a lot of people got a lot of good feedback on that, so we'll, uh, we'll play it then. Uh, it should be, should be fun. should be a good time. Absolutely. Uh, we leave you this evening with a quote from that old Hellenic Marvel Aristotle. The energy of the mind is the essence of life. Wait a second. I thought you were going to do the quote that was supposed to be last night. No, no, I was going to do that in two weeks. Don't worry about it. Okay. All right. And again, uh, the, on 1240 AM here, stay tuned for Boston Bruins and Toronto Maple Leafs hockey right after this show. Okay. Well, we still have like 15 seconds. Okay. Well, all right. And, oh, yes, and to answer the question, of course, I should have given the phone numbers, which I didn't. Uh, the question, of course, being where would you find the Ramdan Triangle? And uh, just uh, looking for the name of the country. And write to us at paul at behindtheparanormal.com. Or use the form, uh, question form on behindtheparanormal.com where you'll find 500 at least free podcasts of past shows. Alright, that's Paul Eno. I'm Ben Eno. Thanks for joining us on a great cosmic journey and we shall see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.